The vision of marriage is the steward of mission, and that is the image of God from one generation to the next. Ultimately, the, the, the vision of marriage is to be a portrait of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it is the ultimate illustration in human history of what union with Christ should look like. This is Living a Legacy, presenting the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loretz. Now what Crawford just said there may be a new realization for you, that marriage is to be a portrait of the work and message of Jesus Christ. Well, let's check that out together as we head to 1 Peter chapter 3 for another message in Crawford's series, Navigating Life's Challenges. So far in this series, we've examined suffering as a gift, the hope of holiness, holiness as our identity, and how to thrive in a culture that's moving away from God. Now, if you're new to our broadcast, a big welcome. Our speaker has served in Christian ministry for over 50 years, 15 of those as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. The messages we feature here on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's time at Fellowship. He now heads a leadership mentoring program called Beyond Our Generation. His books include Leadership as an Identity, Make It Home Before Dark, and a book he co-wrote with his wife Karen called Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. If you've not been able to join us for this series, the previous messages are all available to stream on our website, and I'll have more information about that later. Well, there's no question that marriage is under attack today, but biblical marriage is one way to illustrate the relationship between Jesus Christ and His church. It's crucial that we understand this relationship. So join us now as we study this important text, 1 Peter chapter 3. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening." Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Every week I've been uh, uh, saying this as we go through this Peter series here, that context is very, very, very important. As you read your Bible, the temptation for all of us is to grab a section of Scripture that we know and that we like, and, uh, you know, we'll ring the changes about that. But sometimes the beauty and the power and the force of that passage is seen in the overall argument on what, what went on before it and what comes after that. And so it is with this text as we walk through this passage. It's about marriage relationships. Peter's talking about this and how we relate as couples. But you have to understand, this has got to be dropped into the context of, of the book itself. 
Peter is writing this letter to Christians who are going through an amazingly difficult time. They've been scattered throughout the five provinces of Rome, uh, and they were scattered because of persecution. They're in foreign contexts. Uh, they're not back where they grew up or where they're from. And uh, uh, Peter spends a whole lot of time talking about identity, identity, identity. I talked two messages on holiness, and even as last week he talks about how to deal with oppressive governmental situations and, and, and slavery, and he doesn't endorse either one of them, but he tells them how to survive, how to survive. And the overarching tone is that you should not behave like where you are. I'll say that again. The overarching tone is you should not behave like where you are, but that you bring a sense of identity, you bring a sense of definition, you bring a sense of wholeness to wherever you are because of your relationship with Christ. And so he rings the changes about uncommon lives, uncommon relationships. And so it is as he talks about marriage here. Uh, you you, you got to understand this is just more than just a bunch of transactional tips on how to have a happy home. Uh, he, he's talking about stuff that's anchored in what will make your marriage not only survive, but how will it thrive? How will it thrive? So what's going on in your life? You know, uh, <laughs> the fact that a man and a woman are Christians is no guarantee that their marriage is going to be successful. Success is not automatic. And Peter has this in mind, although I'll say in a few moments, he is speaking specifically, some of these women had been married to unbelievers, or technically, technically the text didn't say that they were unbelievers, it says that they were disobedient. Disobedient to the word of God, which means I think it's a little bit broader than that. Not only are, were they not, some of them were unbelievers, there could have been some who were believers, but were taking a little bit of a carnal excursion. And by the way, by the way, as a pastor, I've, I've seen it up close and personal. Nothing's worse than a man who's under conviction of the Holy Spirit who will not repent. He'll begin to act out in crazy kinds of ways, disobedient. But with that in mind, Peter is pressing in, pressing in and reminding them. I think this is the backdrop to, to all of this, that, that the marriage is a commitment. The marriage, by the way, by its very nature, is a commitment to change. And just let me say this up front before we get into the text, because I think it's important to see a broader context here. Marriage, being married, is not just about having sex legally, and it's not just about paying, you know, somebody there to help me pay my bills, help me feel good, and we have sunsets together, and we'll go, grow old together, and we'll have a lot of memories, and a lot of kids that do us proud, and, you know, we'll have family albums and all of this stuff. That is not really the original vision for marriage. The vision of marriage is a steward of mission. The vision of marriage is the steward of mission, and that is the image of God from one generation to the next. Ultimately, the, the, the vision of marriage is to be a portrait of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Often when we preach that text in Ephesians chapter 5, we, we miss that. We get so caught up with the, the roles of husband and wife, we forget that the, the, that the imagery that he's holding up there is, is the beauty of Christ. To tell the truth about Jesus and it is the ultimate illustration in human history of what union with Christ should look like. And that's the noble vision. And so when you get the text of Scripture like this, be, be resist the temptation of becoming purely transactional with the tips and the advice here. It's over against the backdrop of what marriage is all about. And so I argue that a commitment to marriage is also a commitment to change. 
is a commitment to becoming. It's a commitment to movement. And in a right sense, marriage should be viewed as God's amazing primary means, if you are married, of sanctification and development and growth in our walk and relationship with him. And I think Peter has this in the back of the mind when he writes these words to them, say, hey, 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 I know you're in a hard situation. I know it's difficult. I know there's a lot of stress. You might have financial problems, all kinds of headaches. Some of you women are married to bozos, man, and they're not doing right. So what do I do? What do I do? I'm going to experience this oneness. Well, again, Peter underscores what it will take for marriage to not only survive, but thrive. And he speaks of this in two ways. The first six verses, Peter underscores the wife's responsibility. And then in the first seven, he points to the husband's attitude. You go, you say, oh, wait a minute, a little disproportionate here, isn't it? I mean, six verses for the woman, only one verse for the dude. Well, wait till you read that one verse. I submit to you the heavier responsibility is wrapped up in that one verse. But Peter is explaining in these first six verses what the wife's responsibility is and what the husband's attitude should be. Well, let me just go there right now. You know, you know throughout the scriptures, particularly all the teachings on marriage throughout the scriptures, particularly Ephesians 5 in this text, classic passages, that the husband, the husband is responsible to God for creating the environment in the home that makes submission inviting. That's the reason why I went, oh, in Ephesians 5, husbands uh, love your wives, that's Christ, loved the church and gave himself up for the church, nourish and cherish her. I mean, you know, create the environment where the command that I just gave her to submit can take place in an inviting way. So he doesn't primarily speak of his responsibility, although you, can, you could delineate it that way, but primarily speak of his responsibility as, as much as he does. What is your attitude? What environment are you creating for this to take place in your home? Now, having said that, he points to the woman's responsibility. And I would say that there are three big things that he points to. The anchor one is given to us uh, in verse 1. Uh, let me back up a little bit. Look at, look at the word in verse 1, likewise, and then down in verse 7, likewise. Again, this is another, another reason why context, you must pay attention to context. You, you will miss something if you don't connect these likewises together. What is the likewise that he's talking about? Why does he say likewise in verse 1, and why does he say likewise in verse 7? Well, he says likewise because he's pointing both husband and wife back to the illustration that he gave of Christ and his submission. Remember, remember, remember he talked about, he talked about submission to government authorities that were not necessarily nice. Nero was emperor, okay, and he wasn't a good guy. And he talks about slavery, wasn't justifying slavery, but he was trying to help these believers to know how to survive. And he says, if that doesn't help you, let me give the illustration of Jesus who submitted to the plan of the Father. He was obedient unto death, even death of the cross. He submitted himself. He drew a sense of a source of strength and energy and, and, and power from the Father. So he says, likewise, in the same way, wives. Likewise, husbands, in the same way, 
Carry out your responsibility that way. It refers back to the example of Christ, and just as Christ was submissive and obedient to God's will, husbands and wives should do the same. And uh, the, wor- the word is not here, but in the example and how Peter's uh, uh, articulating these things, he's given us a portrait of humility. There cannot be a thriving, happy marriage unless it is based on humility. It won't happen. Two proud people in a relationship is a hot mess. And so he says, look, if you're going to make it, if you're going to thrive, if, you're, if your marriage is going to be what it needs to be, and you've got to submit and surrender to the person of Jesus. And you've got to confess every day of your life you need him. You can't do this stuff apart from his enabling power. So the first responsibility of a wife, number one, is to live under authority. Likewise, wise, verse 1, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. The word subject here is the same word that's uh, over in uh, chapter, chapter 2, verse 18, and chapter 2, verse 12. It is upotasso. I said last week that that word means, it's a military term, and it's not confusing to understand, upotasso. It means to bring yourself under the command of someone else. That's what it means. It's a military expression. So he says, wives, bring yourselves under the command and the authority of your husband. That's what submission is all about. Now, I don't want to explain it away. Sometimes in our desire to make make hard statements of the Bible sound more acceptable Uh, Some of us have come from abusive backgrounds. We've come from situations in which men have uh, have, uh, painfully abused authority and and all of that kind of stuff. And just hearing that word, submit, uh, you, you cringe. You cringe. And yet I can't take that out of the Scriptures. However, we do need to explain what the Bible means by submission. The very first thing we have to understand, by the way, this is a command. It is not to be negotiated. Is not to be negotiated. Um, and let me just come right out and say this so that we're clear. Um, yes, we are partners in marriage. That is true. But we're not partners in authority. That is not true. That is not true. It's not partners in authority. There is submission. There are not two generals determining the direction of the household. Ubatasso. So, it is a command and an obligation. Now, having said that, I want you to listen to me here. Um, Submission, however, in the scriptures has nothing to do with um, uh, inherent value and ability. In fact, submission in the Bible, whenever it talks, submission is used, it it, it refers to order and authority. Place of order and authority, not, not inherent worth and value. Now, let me give you a classic illustration of this, and we, we, of course this is so. Jesus submitted to the will, the plan, and the purposes of God for the orderly execution of redemption. Is Jesus less God than God the Father? No. They're co-equal. The Holy Spirit submits. They call it the procession of the Spirit. He submits to the the will of the Father and the Son. He subordinates himself. 
He submits. Is the Holy Spirit any less than God? Absolutely not. That would be heresy. But in order for there to be the orderly execution of the plan of God, there's submission in the Godhead. Nothing to do with value, nothing to do with worth. And so it is in marriage. For whatever reason, it is to reflect the unity of the Trinity. Marriage is to reflect the unity of the Trinity. Husband, wife, children, the unity of the Trinity. They're co-equal in terms of worth and value, but in terms of execution and authority, there's a difference. The other thing I would like to say is that we need to point out what submission does not mean. More and delineate that a little bit further. I read an interesting piece by Dr. Wayne Grudem this past week, and uh, uh, loosely, loosely uh, associated with this text. And, and Wayne pointed out, uh, gave about seven observations about what submission does not mean. And listen to these things, and I agree with him 100%. Number one, submission does not mean put a, putting a husband in the place of Christ. That's idolatry. Leroy ain't Jesus. <laughs> All right, my wife, if she was here, she'd be saying, amen, amen, amen. Uh, submission does not mean giving up independent thought. To be a submissive wife doesn't mean that you somehow or another, you know, dull your brain down and you know, commit to intellectual suicide and you don't have a mind of your own and you don't think. That's not submission. That's not what it means. Thirdly, submission does not mean giving up efforts to influence your husband. Now, don't manipulate him. You've got some other issues. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean just sitting there and let, letting him do stuff that is dumb, that doesn't make sense. doesn't mean that you, you bite your tongue and close your mouth when he's about ready to make some decisions gonna, that's going to deep-six the family. Well, that, that submission, that doesn't have anything to do with submission. Now, perhaps how it's done, but it doesn't mean that you give up trying to influence your marriage. In fact, to be married means to influence one another. Number four, submission does not mean to give in to every demand of your husband. Especially, we're talking about breaches of integrity or lying or, you know, doing stuff that violates the scriptures that's not right. You, you're, never called, you're never called to do that. And so submission does not mean, well, honey, you know, they're calling here, and I pick up my cell phone, tell them, tell them that I'm gone, I'm not around, or this kind. No, I ain't lying. Don't do that. That's sin. That's wrong. So you don't violate godliness and integrity in the name of submission. Submission doesn't mean lesser intelligence and competence. That somehow or another, because you're the head of the household, you, you, you're better than I didn't mean that at all. You know how many idiotic men just messed up their families because they're trying to do something that they don't have the ability to do and that their wife is sharper uh, in that area, but because they're insecure uh, and they're high control, they think they ought to do it. Some of us, our families are almost on the brink of bankruptcy. The woman knows how to handle the money better than you do. Why don't you let her handle the money? Submission does not mean being fearful or timid. It doesn't mean some little personality that cowers in the corner. I can't say anything because my husband's the head of the house. It doesn't mean that. Submission does not mean, and I've already said this, inequality in Christ. It doesn't mean that. 
Let me give you my definition of submission, however. I do believe that the composite picture of the teaching of the Word of God on submission falls into these words, okay? Uh, Submission is an attitude of cooperation that acknowledges God's placement of your husband as the head of the marriage and the leader of the home. Let me say that again. Submission is an attitude of cooperation that acknowledges God's placement of your husband as the head of the marriage and the leader of the home. That's what it means. Acknowledging his headship, acknowledging his leadership. Now, notice in verse 1, Peter is addressing a situation, however, that uh, some of these women have married men who are either not followers of Jesus or they, I mean, not followers of Jesus or they're not acting right spiritually and they're just willfully disobedient. And so he says here, likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Won without a word. And so as Peter is saying, look, refrain from badgering your husband about his need for Christ. Don't, don't just keep doing, stop writing turn or burn on the mirror and, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, sticking, sticking gospel tracks on his chariot. And uh, I know in our desire, we, we love, you love your husband and you, you want to see him come to know Jesus and this kind of thing. But, you know, you're not going to, you know, he's not going to come by all these words being nibbled to death by a duck. Karen and I have known many, many couples who are in this category through the years. And we've known of quite, a, quite a few of them whose testimonies go something like this. My husband, when I came to Christ, he hated everything that I, I stood for. He didn't want me to go to church. He didn't want me to go to any meetings at church. He made fun of my Bible study stuff. He just put me down and all this kind of stuff. And in those early years, we would even get into arguments and I would get into tears and try to convince him. But so many of them said the tipping point came when I stopped doing that. And I realized that I wasn't the Holy Spirit. And I realized that I needed to live better than what I said. And over time, because of the transforming power of the gospel in in my life, the Spirit of God began to erode and work on resistance. And a number of them have marvelously come to Jesus. Dr. Crawford Loritz here on Living a Legacy, and we'll get to the second half of that message next week. We are looking at how to thrive in marriage. Crawford is leading us through his series, Navigating Life's Challenges, based on the book of 1 Peter. Now, if you're finding this series helpful, please take a moment to let us know. We heard from Lisa writing about how recent messages in this series have been of help to her. She says, I listened to Living a Legacy on Faith Radio in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. It was helpful to hear what Crawford was saying about how we as believers can make an impact. We need this encouragement, and I pray that God helps me take the actions I should. Thank you so much, Lisa, and we're glad to know God is using these messages in your life. Now, how about you? Email us at legacyatmoody.edu, legacyatmoody.edu. If you missed out on any of the messages in this series, get caught up on our website. Look for the Past Programs link, and you can download the entire series for free at livingalegacy.org. 
That's livingalegacy.org. Well, thanks for being part of our study today. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Living a Legacy is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.